Those of you who are laughing, would you share next to you uh, the person that's sitting there going, what? Um, what's going on here? Um, you know, many of us know people who have been accused of having one-track minds. Uh, oh, for a little time in the back there. Can you see it okay? Okay. But uh, have you, you know anybody accused of having a one-track mind? Uh, yeah, we do. We all know that. Okay. Oh, you know what's scary is that this is kind of like setting the tone for the rest of the morning. Oh, we got a slow group today. Okie dokie. Well, that's okay. Um, some things that you just need a visual aid to really help get a point across. But anyway, uh, for those of you who know people that have been accused of having a one-track mind or are one-track minded themselves, a lot of us have developed theology based on that. For example, what we'll do is we have people that have one-track mind that will say things like, well, you know, actually, how can a God who's a loving God, who is a gracious God, who is an understanding God, how could a God like that be so narrow-minded when it comes to our salvation? How could a God actually condemn people to a terrible fate in eternity? How can the same loving, understanding, and just God do something like that? And so what we do is we develop the one-track theology that says basically this, all of us are in the same position, everything's the same, uh, you know, we'll experience the difficulties here, the consequences here, but when we, you know, get to before God, He's going to cut everybody a break and we're all going to have eternity together. And so there is an agenda in life that is common to everybody, and this is God's agenda. Is that clear enough? Do you want me to shut the front lights out right here? You won't, you, you laugh, so I know you won't go to sleep, but that's good. But this is an agenda that God has for every person regardless of where they stand. Every one of us will experience life on earth, although there are some of us, the Bible teaches, that are spiritually dead. Ephesians 2 tells us that we were formerly in our transgressions, that we are born spiritually dead because of the sin that entered the world through Adam, that we are born dead. So there is life on earth, there is physical death, there is standby, what we call standby, there is resurrection, judgment, and eternity. But the difference is, that's about as far as the similarities go, and things start to get very different for those of us after we die. There are two tracks the Bible teaches after death. Track number one and track number two. There's not a one-track mind as far as God is concerned. There is life on earth, physical death. At the point of physical death, we will then become aware of what track some of us are on while we sit here and we're not sure. The problem with salvation as I see it is that God has not put a little green dot on each one of us who are truly, quote, saved and who are not. The Bible is clear that we will be known by our fruits, that there is evidence we can examine ourselves to know whether we're in Christ or not. We can know whether we have that eternal relationship with God resolved by putting our faith in Christ. But as far as the rest of us are concerned, we're not sure who's saved and who's not. So I'm under the assumption this morning that there are some of us who are sitting here who are on track one and some of us who are sitting here who are on track two. And the only way that I'll be able to tell the difference is after death when it comes to standby. You follow what I'm saying? It is not as obvious as it is as we would like it to, to be. We will be known by our fruits. We need to examine ourselves. There are fruits in our life, but we can examine ourselves and say, you know what, I know I'm in the Lord. I know there's fruits in my life. I know the old things passed away. All things become new. I'm a different person. I know all that, and I can be assured of my salvation. God wants us to know that. He says, you can know that. Any man is in Christ, he has eternal life. He who is not in Christ does not have eternal life, and this is the witness of the record, okay? 
But from that point on, after physical death, we go into two camps. Camp number one, standby. Camp number two. Camp number one, resurrection, the same, and so on, through judgment and eternity. And so as we were taking a look at that last week, as a review to those of you who weren't here, we saw in standby that there's a place called Hades, or hell, or the place of the dead. And the rich man also died and was buried in hell where he was in torment. He looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus at his side. So he called in and said, I am in agony in this fire. There was a time where all who died, all those who were dead, went to a place called Sheol or the dead. The place of the dead, a waiting place, that's why it's called standby, because it was a holding tank. Things changed, if you recall, as Jesus was on the cross and he looked at the thief who was next to him and he said what? Today you shall be with me in paradise. I know some of the things that are really upsetting to people is when I stand here and say, you know what, you can know today whether you're going to heaven or to hell. It seems like an arrogant statement, but it only seems like an arrogant statement to those who are on their way to hell. Because those of us who have put our faith in Christ realize it's not because we're gray guys or it's not because we're gray gals or it's not because of the things that we do, but it's by grace we've been saved through faith. So I can with confidence tell you based on the word of God that I know today I'm going to heaven not by anything that I've done but by what God has done for me in Jesus Christ. Those of you who are on the way to hell, you're going to take offense to that. I know because I was there. I remember the first time someone said, you know what, I can be sure that I'm going to heaven. I thought, that's the most arrogant, obnoxious statement that I've ever heard. How can you ever say something like that? But it's not because of what we've done. It's because of what Jesus has done already. So there was a place that we all went to. It was a place of the dead. Jesus changed that the day that he died and he descended. And we, and we believe, according to Ephesians 4, that he went into Sheol or into the place of the dead and he proclaimed the gospel and he set the captives free. There was both sides. There was a chasm. If you continue in Luke 16, there was a separation between those who were in agony and those who were what was called Abraham's bosom. Those who were in paradise and those who were in torture and hell. There was a separation. That is no longer true today. We know because Paul told us that, therefore, we are confident of this and know that as long as we're at home in the body, that we're away from the Lord. We're confident, I say, and I would rather prefer to say, to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. Why? Because when you and I die, we who have put our faith and trust in Christ are confident of this thing, that the moment that we die, that we will be in the presence of the Lord. So he was saying that, I'm confident in this. I'm arrogant, I'm boastful, whatever you want to say, but I'm only arrogant in the Lord. I'm boastful in the Lord, I'm not boastful in myself. There is a day coming where all of us will be resurrected from the dead. We will have a bodily resurrection. We know all the way back from Job that Job said that there will be a day in the flesh, in my eyes, I shall see the Lord. This has been a teaching all throughout Scripture. It said, do not be amazed at this, for a time is coming for those who are on track one who never put their faith in Christ. There's a time coming when all who are in their graves will hear His voice come out. Those who have done good will rise to live, and those who have done evil will rise to be condemned. There is a day where all of us will be physically resurrected. And we know this is true. It says, listen, I tell you mystery, we will not all sleep. We'll be changed in a flash in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. Perhaps the greatest news to all of us as we realize our bodies are decaying and as we hear the health problems that are around us, the greatest news that you can share with anybody is that there is a day where we will be resurrected and we will be given bodies just like the one that the Lord Jesus had after his resurrection that will be perfect, that will be great, that will not have any more problems, will not go through the agony and the troubles that we're going through. And I just say amen because you know what? My body's going downhill. It doesn't do the things that my mind remembers it being able to do. And uh, if you're in that same frustration, you know how that goes. Some of you probably more so than me. 
Um, but I also want to share with you again in, in uh, John chapter 11, if you remember in John chapter 11, turn to that for a second, because I want to get this point across as far as the resurrection is concerned. In John 11, a great truth about the resurrection of the body. John 11, pick it up at verse, um, say verse 17. This is a story where Jesus is going to Lazarus who had died. So, so when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. In verse 17 of John 11. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem and about two miles off. Many of the Jews who had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. Martha, therefore, when she heard that Jesus was coming, she heard that he was coming and went to meet him, but Mary still sat in the house. Martha, therefore, said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Even now I know that whatever you ask of God, that God will give you. Jesus said to her, listen carefully, Jesus said to her, your brother shall rise again. And what did Martha say? She said, Lord, I know that he'll rise again in the resurrection on the last day. If there was any doubt as far as physical resurrection was concerned, it was the perfect opportunity for Jesus to say, no, you've got that wrong. You don't understand your scripture. Jesus did not say that. There is a day coming when all of us will be resurrected, that we'll be reunited with our spirit and soul, whether we're in Hades in the place of the dead or hell as we call it, or whether we're in the presence of the Lord, that there will be a day we'll be resurrected and we'll be physically resurrected. So Jesus didn't con condemn her for what she said. He didn't even correct her. He said this, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me shall live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And he said to her, do you believe this? Listen carefully to what she said. She said to him, yes, Lord, I have believed that you are the Christ, the Messiah, the Savior, the Son of God, even he who comes into the world. A lot of us like to wrestle with Jesus being a good guy, a good teacher, or whatever you want to say, but you realize that he never and purposely never gave us that as an option. Jesus Christ claimed to be God. He accepted the role of Messiah. He accepted the role of Savior. And he even said that even though you die, if you have trusted in me, you shall live. That you will never die. You will never spiritually be dead if you put your faith and trust in me. A lot of us who are saying Jesus was good or he was or whatever, he doesn't give you that option. Jesus was either a Lord, our Lord, or a lunatic, one or the other. And that's where you're at. You're on track one or track two. And that's the clarity of the gospel. So I want to get this across to all of us that are here. You're on track one or track two. There is no one-track mentality in Scripture. And so as he said this, he, she said, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God. That is what separates track one and track two. Who you say that Jesus Christ is. And so we saw that. And then there will be a day based on who you say that he is, based on where you've put your trust, there will be a day of judgment for those of us who have never put our faith and trust in Christ. We read, I saw the dead, great and small. Death is the great equalizer. The great and the small are all in the same position before God. I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. God is keeping track of everything that all of us do. 
He's got books that, re that are going to reward us according to our deeds or punish us according to our deeds. In Matthew chapter 11, we're taught that if the miracles that had happened in Sire and Titan occurred in Bethsaida and Chorazon, that it was better for them than, than if they would have just believed because if those miracles had happened in the other cities, those people would have believed it. And there are degrees of punishment based on what we are doing according to our works. Later on, it goes on to tell us that the other book, the book of life, for those of us whose names are not written in the book of life, that we, along with Hades or hell, were cast into the lake of fire. That there is a judgment that's coming that's eternal. But for those who have put their faith in Christ, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Each one may receive what is due for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Since then, we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade men. There's a day coming that we will be judged. First of all, I want to get something clear as we go through this. First of all, our judgment is based upon the works that are done in the body, according to the flesh. And I'll explain that to you in a moment, but the truth of it is that you and I, our eternity is never determined based on what our works are, but it's based on our trust or faith in Christ or lack of it. We're one or the other. We become before the presence of the God. One is a great white throne judgment for those in track one. The other judgment is the Bema Seat judgment for those who have put their trust in Christ. In both cases, the reason that you're separated into two camps is because of who you say Jesus is, not because of what you've done. Do you understand that? We're going to get into it this morning as it comes to evaluation. And so we see that each person was judged according to what he'd done. Death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, that is where they were thrown. And uh, track two, his work shall be shown for what it is, because the day will reveal it. The day of the judgment day. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each man's work. If what he has built survives, he'll receive his reward. If it is burned up, he will suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved. That's what we're going to take a look at this morning, is that we are going to take a look at what this judgment is all about. We saw that our life on earth determines our eternal situation, camp one, camp two. Even though all of us are born into camp one, there's a point in time where if we're confronted with the gospel that we make a choice of what we believe. Camp one or camp two, it's our life on earth and then comes judgment. Our faith on earth is what determines our eternal salvation. By grace you've been saved through faith, not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, lest any one of us would boast. So that is already taken care of. And then the last thing is that our works, and that's what we're here to concentrate on, is our works. But I don't want to jump into works because I'm afraid that we may confuse people as to what it is that God grades us on. Our initial judgment is based on who you say Christ is. After that, he judges us according to our works. And that's what our compensation will be based on. So we're going to take a look at rewards, which is our eternal potential. I'm going to ask you a question as we go through it. How many of you have had the joy in our modern society to go through the annual employee review? The annual employee review. The sensitivity of labor laws today almost make it mandatory that each one of us who are employed somewhere are forced to go through the annual employee review. One man wrote about this review, and, and I'll just read a couple of excerpts from it. He says, I work for a big company. I'm small. I'm much smaller than my company. My boss told me so himself. 
He said, the company is much bigger than you are. I work out of a cell. The company calls it an office, but to me it's a cell. There are no padlocks on the doors except those I see in my mind. I could escape, but where will I go? Another corporation? That's all there is. I'm a company man. He goes on and says, I do everything I'm supposed to do, eight hours a day, 12 months a year. I get weekends off for good behavior. I get paid once every week, whether I need the money or not. Although he doesn't say whether I deserved it or not. I don't make trouble. I play second base on the company softball team. I attend company picnics and parties and laugh when I'm supposed to. I don't sexually harass female employees. It's against company policy. I wonder if he gave it some thought. Check that manual. But this is a bad time of the year. It's review time. This means I've got to go before my boss and have him evaluate me. This goes on, I'm told, all over the country. People like me get reviewed. He goes on to say, I'm getting tired of reviews. Got reviewed before I got married. I'm getting reviewed while I'm married. My wife reviews me every day. I thought when I grew up I could just relax and be myself, but no, everywhere I go I'm being reviewed. America was once the land of rugged individualists, now it's the land of small corporate men. Would Daniel Boone have ever stood still for having his boss appear, appear before his boss and have his boss evaluate him for cooperativeness, his initiative, his creativity, his productivity, his punctuality? Daniel Boone, would he have stood for that? No way. But that was long ago when Daniel Boone was big. People were big then, now people are small. The corporation is big. The man who occupies the cell next to me is small. The other day he was smaller. He's a good company man, but he got reviewed. <laughs> he even uses words like interface and input. The other day he passed by my office with a daze on his face as if he had just been smashed by a demolition ball. That man, I said to myself, just got reviewed. Sure enough, he had. I said, hey, did you get a fair on appearance and cooperativeness and an average on initiative and productivity? He said, I didn't get one outstanding. Well, he didn't show up today. I think he's home crying. I think he's destroyed. I know, because he got reviewed. Well, two days ago, I got reviewed. I said to my boss, let's interface, thinking that that would get me some points. But no, my boss is small, but I'm smaller. He's a good man, my boss. He's, I'm also a good man. He even said it. You're a good man, he said. And he got a check mark next to good, but not outstanding. Well, I said to myself, that's not so bad. Who's outstanding anyway? But I'm punctual. Yes, you are, he said, and checked off above, above average for punctuality. But do I comb my hair nicely, wear dark, rim, dark rims and dark suits, my tie and a corporate knot? I don't know, my boss said, muffling and mulling me over. He said, your hair is kind of long and your shoes could use a shine. So I got an average for appearance. That didn't hurt because back in the days when I was a rugged individualist, I used to downright be slovenly. I prided myself on being a slob and in slurring my words like Marlon Brando. He said, you know, my boss said, you slur your words like Marlon Brando. He said, so I got a poor in speech. All right, but despite these drawbacks, these flaws of character, I do get along with people. He says, you don't get along with people. That was a slap in the face. Why don't I get along with people, I ask. You're a loner. I am? Yes, I am. So I get a poor in cooperativeness. Well, it was downhill from there. I didn't, get an, I didn't get one outstanding. Not for initiative, not for creativity, not for productivity. Funny, I used to think I was creative and productive. 
I even used to think of myself as cooperative and attractive. All I am, it turns out, is punctual. <laughs> well, I didn't show up for work today. <laughs> I was at home. Should I go on living? My wife says yes. She thinks I'm at least average. <laughs> she thinks I ought to go back to work and tell him off. My boss, I can't do that, of course, and that's no way to get even. What I can do tomorrow is review my secretary. <laughs> he said, I'm small, but she's much smaller. <laughs> well, let me ask you a question. You've been through the review. You've been through the review, and if you had someone come to you and say, listen, Joe, or listen, Harriet, or whatever, um, six months from now, the senior vice president of your corporation, of your division, is going to come, and he's going to review your performance for the next six months. And on the basis of that review, it will determine where you head with our corporation. Is that exciting? Would that like cause you to ask any questions? What, please tell me it would. Would it cause you to ask a question? I'm going to review you. What would you like to know? What am I going to be evaluated on? Yes. Very good. Um, what, what kind of tie does he like? Does he wear, like words like interface? And uh, I mean, what am I going to be evaluated upon? What is the basis? What? Standards. Okay, what's the standards? I mean, okay, he's going to evaluate me. Is he going to evaluate me on what I look like? Is he going to evaluate me if I'm on time, if I don't miss any days? I mean, what is he going to evaluate me on? Why is that important to know? What? You'll change. If you need to. Well, yeah. What must I do to be saved? What must I do to be promoted? Because how you, how you live today will be determined by what you believe about tomorrow. If your boss came to you and said that for the next six months, we're going to watch what you do, and the basis of your evaluation is going to determine on where you head with us in this corporation. You're going to want to know, what are you going to evaluate me on? What are you going to put most of the weight on? You know, even as uh, children, as we go through school, we always ask, uh, how important is homework? How much weight are you going to place on tests? I mean, is, is homework more? How much on uh, uh, cooperation and how much on uh, um, whether I volunteer any information or extra credit? You know, those of us who are down this way in the old grade structure, extra credit was always an important question. How many, you know, what are you going to evaluate me on? Okay, so to be fair, he's going to say, all right, listen, I'm going to evaluate you on what you do with this product over the next six months based upon what increase you have on the sales of that product. It's measurable, it's definable, it's a goal that you can look at and say, okay, product X, we're selling so much here in uh, October, and by the time we get to April, we're going to take a look at what you've done to be able to increase the sales of that product. Does that make sense? And so, if that was the case of your evaluation, what would you do? Where are you going to concentrate most of your time? Where is all your effort going to be placed? On selling. On selling product Z? Product B? Where are you going to concentrate on selling? Product X, right? I mean, either that or you're real stupid. Because then when you get to your evaluation, you say, Well, I didn't know. If you'd have told me, I would have changed. I would have did something. You know what's so great? This review that we're talking about 
is so much greater than any company review that you've ever gone through. It's a review that God says that each one of us is going to undergo before God himself. I mean, as important as your company review may be, and as much as it's going to help you to change your performance and to concentrate your efforts and your energy and your time, could you imagine for a moment if God would evaluate us without telling us the criteria under which we are to be examined? We would get before Him and say, Lord, why didn't you tell us? That's just not fair. You think I can read your mind? And we'll stand before God and we'll have a list of a thousand excuses why our performance never changed because we don't know what to expect at our evaluation. Well, now let me ask you a simple question. Do you think that God is that unfair? I mean, if employers can sit down and come up with a list of how to evaluate employees on an objective basis, don't you think God could come up with a way to do it a little bit better? I mean, it's like, you know, it's so funny. We're jumping through hoops based upon let's try to sell product X over the next six months and we're going to be evaluated on that and we're going to have a promotion based on that. And man, you know, Steve, you know what? Here's a bonus contract. If Chapman College wins so many tennis matches, here's what your pay is going to be based on and incentives and things of that nature. And you know what? You concentrate all your efforts to make sure that your team wins or that your team goes further or your team makes the championship or whatever it is. And that's exactly what God is saying to us. He's saying, you know what, if you know what to expect at your evaluation, I'll bet you it changes your performance between now and that time. So this is what we're looking at. You'll never be able to say, I don't know, after this morning. You'll never be able to say, Lord, you never told us. You've, you should have told us. This just isn't fair because guess what? He's taken the time to do that. And I believe if you understand what to expect, it's going to change your performance. So what we're going to look at as a summary of all the facts that we could dig up concerning our evaluation. There are going to be nine of them. If you want to jot them down, that's great. If not, pay attention to them. You know why? Because this is exactly what God's judging you on. He's judging based upon these next set of facts. And if that's not worth listening to, then you're as foolish as the person who sits in his office where, where the, the boss says, listen, I am going to evaluate you on these set of facts. And for you to come back later, you don't have an excuse. You are to be without excuse. This is what God is going to evaluate every one of us on in track two. All right? Number one. Let's go through it. You will be evaluated by God following your life on earth. Then Jesus said to his host, When you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers, or your relatives, or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back, and so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, invite the crippled, invite the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Fact number one concerning your evaluation is that you will be evaluated. It is a certainty. There's no question about it. You will be evaluated. You're not up in the air on the thing. When you get before the Lord, He's going to say, okay, now it's evaluation time. I never told you about this, but since I'm God, I thought I'd just throw it in here. God doesn't do that. He'll let you know. You may have a boss who will do that. who will sit down with you and say, you know, I've been watching you over the last six months. I just haven't felt like telling you. And these are the things I find that are your shortcomings, and based upon that, we can't promote you. Would say, boy, that's unfair. There's a certainty 
to eternity, and that is you will be evaluated. God is going to evaluate you. In Jesus' day, there was a common problem, though. It's a good thing it doesn't exist today. But see, in Jesus' day, there were, there were people that would do things in order to be repaid right then and there. It's like they would invite somebody to dinner and then they would expect to be invited to dinner by that same couple maybe a couple weeks later because after all, you invited them to dinner and now it's their turn to invite you to dinner. Can you believe that they did stuff like that then? I mean, it's like, you know, or I think it's their turn to, this is, it's their turn to call. We've called them the last two times. Can you, it's like, can you imagine what that was like, calling each other, yelling out the window, because obviously they didn't use phones then, so it was a lot more hard to call somebody then than it is now. But they would do things like that. They would, like, exchange gifts, and they wouldn't give gifts. It's like, they would sit there, you know, at Christmas time, and they would check out the gifts and stuff and say, boy, you know what, look what they got and look what we got. And they wouldn't give gifts. Jesus said, you know what? He goes, you're looking for payment today, and if you indeed do get paid today, then you've already received your reward. So things that we do, and we're going to take a look at what's a good work, what's a bad work, but what Jesus was saying was, hey, guess what? Why don't you do this instead, a, a drastic contrast? Why don't you start helping people who in no way could ever repay you today? That's what God's going to evaluate you on. You ready for this? Are you helping people today that in no way here on God's earth will they ever be able to repay you for anything that you're doing? Are you helping today? Or are you exchanging services? Do you go out of your way to help people who will never be able to repay you? He says, but you know what? I say this. You give a banquet, invite the poor. Invite the crippled. Invite the lame. Invite the blind. Invite people and help people that will never be able to help you out. They're never going to be able to do a thing for you here on this earth. But you know what? You're storing up treasure in heaven. He goes, although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid. You will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Can you believe that? Can you believe that if you help somebody out today, even a glass of water in the Lord's name, in the Lord's name, that you help someone out today that could never pay you back here on earth, that God has taken a list of that, he's, he's writing it down, He's taking note of it, and because of that, there's one day He's going to repay you. We're going to get into motivation later in the series, but you know what that does to me? That challenges me to really think about my motives and the things that I'm doing. It challenges me to go out of my way maybe to start to help people that there's no way that I can ever expect anything from them, but I'm trusting that what God is saying is true, that when I'm evaluated, I know He's going to say, well done, good and faithful servant, because you did all these things in my name, I'll repay you. Man, you know what? i got a feeling that God's payday is going to be so much more, oh, so much more of a, a blessing than our own. To exchange dinners, exchange gifts, to exchange services or help, I mean, all you get out of it is something temporary, but God is saying, you know what? I'm marking it down, and it's going to be, I'm going to remember it for eternity, and there's some day that you will be repaid. The Bible also teaches, number two, that uh, we'll be evaluated at the second coming of Christ. It says, For the Son of Man is coming, and He's going to come in His Father's glory with His angels, and then He will reward each person according to what He has done. Many times we go to a funeral service and we hear like things like, you know, our dear departed friend has gone on to his reward. Well, no, not necessarily, although I can't deny that being in the presence of the Lord is a tremendous thing to be, behold. 
And I'm excited about that and I'm looking forward to that. But theologically, it's inaccurate to believe that we are getting our rewards the moment that we die. We are going to see the Lord. We are going to be with the Lord. And that's a tremendous thing. But the Bible teaches that we will be rewarded when Jesus comes again. And I don't care what camp you're in, amillennial, pre-trib, post-tribulation, rapture, whatever it is, no matter what camp you're in, all agree on one thing, that Jesus Christ is coming back. So whenever it is that he returns, he says, I am bringing my rewards with me, and I will reward according to what each has done. Behold, I'm coming soon. My reward is with me, and I will give to everyone according to... It's a tremendous thing in Scripture to go through and read everything that says according to. There's a contingency to it. God is going to reward you according to. So as we go through it, you're going to see God is re going to reward you according to. According to what? According to what you've done. And we already know that one thing that we can do is give to people, help people that can never repay you here on earth. Number three. We'll be evaluated by Jesus Christ himself. This will not be a group event. This will not be by denominations. This will not be by churches. This will not be by kindred fellowship or another Sunday school class. This will not be by shepherd groups. And a lot of you are saying hallelujah to that. But then on the other hand, this is going to be a personal evaluation. Could you imagine getting a chance to sit down before the senior vice president of your corporation to be able to tell him all that you've done for him to ask you questions, for him to be able to evaluate you, to be able to sit down before maybe the owner of your business and to have that special time of audience with him. You know, it's a special thing to be able to have that time slot with that certain key individual who can determine your future role and whatever it is that you're in. Could you imagine for a moment that each one of us, for we must all appear before the judgment seat, the Bema seat of Christ, Christ, not the great white throne judgment, the Bema seat of Christ, that each one may receive what is due him for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Man, I don't know about you, but I'm excited about the day that I could sit before the Lord with nobody else around, no other distractions. He's got plenty of time, all the time in the world that we need, and he is going to review me and evaluate me based on what I know to be true about what the evaluation is all about, but according to the things that I've done while in the body, whether good or bad. Whoa! I'll tell you what, we get all sweaty palmed and nervous a little bit when we think about our evaluation or our review in our businesses. Oh, what's the boss going to say? Oh, what's the boss going to think? You know, I may get fired, I may lose whatever. But you know what's so funny? Christians today... We don't even stop to consider what it would be like to have to give account before the Lord, the Lord God of the universe, the King of kings, and the Lord of lords, Almighty God Himself, to be able to stand there or sit there before Him and have to give account. We get sweaty palmed over our boss. Jesus said, hey, who cares what men will do to you? All they can do is kill your body. You better start to sweat it out when you consider what God can do to your soul. I don't know. Number four. You'll be evaluated along with all other believers. Our, our evaluation is personal, but on the, on the other hand, it's an evaluation that every one of us are going to go through. You know what's exciting to me about that? There are a lot of God's people who think they're insignificant. There are a lot of people who think, well, I'm not this, or I'm not that, or I'm not doing this, and all I'm doing is just this little ministry back here in the corner, and nobody even sees it, nobody even knows about it. But you know what's exciting? 
all of you who are doing and have a ministry of, quote, small things, is that someday it's written that we will all stand before God's judgment. It is written, as surely as, as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me, every tongue will confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. There is no ministry that's insignificant or small in the eyes of God. He is watching everything as people are doing. There is nothing small about it at all. What a special time that is for every one of us to look forward to. Number five, you'll be evaluated on the basis of your works alone. On the basis of your works alone. Let me, as I read through this, think about this. What are we being evaluated for? It says, his work will be shown for what it is because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire and the fire will test the quality of each man's work. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. So we saw that. What is being evaluated? What is God evaluating you on? Is he evaluating on what you believe? Is he evaluating on whether you're punctual? Whether your appearance is good? Whether you had a strong desire to do something for him? Whether you had a strong intensity? What's he evaluating you for? For what you've done. He's evaluating for your works. Not for your belief. Belief determines destination. As an illustration, I thought about this. Your boss will review you, right, for what you've done. Because of what? Because of your position in the company. Does that make sense? Your boss will not review me. Why not? Why won't your boss review me? Because I'm not in that position. I'm not in that company. I'm not one of his employees. Notice the difference here. Our position is what qualifies us to be before him to be evaluated to begin with. You follow me? Because you are an employee of your boss, that fact alone is what qualifies you to get before his presence to be evaluated. Maybe that will help to cross it over. Because you are a child of God, because you are in Christ, that is what will get you before the King of Kings to be evaluated upon, not upon, not upon your, your works necessarily does your position get you there, but once you're there, then he looks at your works. Does that make sense to you? It's important that we understand that because it's our position in Christ that allows us to go before the Bema Seat of Christ to begin with. If you are not in Christ, you will never appear before the Bema Seat of Christ. You will appear before the great white throne judgment of Christ. So it's belief that determines destination, and it's our behavior that will determine our compensation. Number six. You'll be evaluated for the, the works that you did following your conversion. Are you ready for this? Why is that so important to know? There is a world of people around us who are trying to do things that they think is God has taken, you know, he's taken into their account and that if they do enough good things versus bad things, then one day they'll be able to stand before God and say, my good things outweigh my bad things and so now I'm acceptable for your sight, before your sight. And God says, no, it's not by works you've been saved, but it's by grace through faith. You follow me? Anything before you came to Christ is old, has passed away, and all things become new. There is a foundation which is laid, and that is Jesus Christ. If any man builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, his works will be shown for what it is, because the day will bring it to light. Judgment day will bring it to light. If you are building on a solid foundation, 
And this is where we're going to stop today. If you're building on a solid foundation, those are the things that will withstand the fire. There's a world around you trying to teach you that all the good works are going to outweigh your bad works and God grades on a scale or on a curve and you're going to be in heaven based on that. That is not correct. Any work that's not built upon the foundation of Jesus Christ will be burned up with the fire. I just want to close with this. It talks about wood, hay, fire, uh, gold, silver. You ever drive down like a country road and see haystacks that are stood up? Boy, they just stand there and you're visible. You can see them. There's no question about it you can see a haystack. And you know what's happening around us today? There are a lot of people who are doing absolutely incredible philanthropic uh, works that the world takes note of, notice of, that the world sees, that the Bible says is not being built on a foundation of Christ. And that when the fire comes, it'll be burned up and you'll never ever see it again. We are so into what we see that we deny the truth of what God teaches. We look at all the biggies and they must be doing the right thing. But you know what's so funny? A little silver ingot of gold, a little sliver of gold that you can't see. The ministry of small things, I like to call it. People that are out there serving the Lord that none of us can see. That little sliver, that little piece of gold is going to be purified on judgment day by the fire of the Lord himself. And that little sliver of gold is going to last for eternity and all those big haystacks are going to burn up. And I want to challenge you before we leave, and we'll finish it next week, is to think about what we're building upon. If you don't know Christ, there isn't any work that you're going to do that's ever going to get you before God. I've never met anybody yet who used that argument that couldn't find somebody they were better than. I've never met anybody yet who said, I'm awful, I'm going to hell because of, of the way that I live or what I do. Man, they're always hoping that their good outweighs their bad because they know enough people that are worse than them. What are you building on? That's the key to this whole series. If you're not building in the right thing, I don't care what you're doing, but it's going to be burned one day. Why don't you start ministering in small ways? Minister to people that can't help you. God's taking notice. He's writing it down. Let's pray. Our Father, we just thank you for uh, this series that we could go through. God, we just thank you above all that there's going to be a day when we're evaluated and that uh, you're being fair with us and upfront about what we can expect. Lord, help us to be sensitive to it, to the truth. Help us to uh, look at it as, uh, as we look at our own jobs. If we knew what was expected of us, it certainly changes the way we live. And Lord, we just thank you for that, for that motivation you give us. God, help us to be aware of it. Help us to put it to practice. Lord, help us to start to help those who can never repay us here on earth and just trust you that payday will be greater when it's in your hands. And we just thank you and praise you in Christ's name. Amen.